Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. Hallelujah. I sought you, Lord, and you heard and you answered. How about that tonight? Amen. I like singing to him. Anybody else like singing to him? I love singing to him. I'm glad it's not a, you know, a voice audition. Uh, otherwise, I'd be in trouble. Um, but I'm so glad that God would let me sing to him and that he loves that. And he calls me to sing to him, and he does you too. And so I hope that you would make that a practice of your life. Sing to him. He's worthy. If you have your Bibles, you can probably guess where we're headed. Luke chapter number 6. Look at you. So you're following along. If you're here tonight as our guest, uh, we are... Now, we began something, I don't know, three, four, five years ago. We began reading through. Uh, and by the way, tradition, sometimes we, we have this way of thinking, and we say tradition is a bad thing, and tradition is not always a bad thing. You with me? Sometimes tradition can be a good thing. And a tradition that we began reading is one chapter of Luke per day. And so what happens is on Christmas Eve, you read the whole book of gospel according to Luke. Instead of just focusing on little baby Jesus, uh, you're mindful that little baby Jesus grew up to be man Jesus, and the God-man, and all that he did and taught, and his death and resurrection, and oh, your heart's so much more ready to celebrate the coming of our Savior. And so I pray that you'll join in with us. If you've not already, join tomorrow. Start reading Luke chapter 7 tomorrow. Uh, most days I post a commentary, either written or a video, whichever I have time to do. And I uh, try to do that in the morning so that you have some time to listen to that or read that as you go along. And uh, I pray that God would strengthen your relationship with him. And that, listen, I'm praying you and I get to know Jesus better. Uh, as we go through the, our time in the Word. So Luke chapter number 6. Now you say, wow, there's a lot in this chapter. Some of y'all looked through this, and you said to yourself, we're not going to get out of here tonight. <clears throat> and so uh, let me ask you this before we get started. Did you get a copy of our outline for tonight? You're going to need it, because I'm fixing to go hyperspeed on you, <clears throat> if the voice will hold up. If you didn't get one, would you hold your hand up? we make sure that you get one. Oh, we got just a few back there. Miss Teresa down front. Uh, just, just hold your hand up. They're coming down the aisle. They'll, they'll hand it to you if you'll just hold your hand up there. Nobody on this side? Wow. All right, we've got a few down front on this side over here. And so Luke chapter number 6. Now, where we're going to rest on tonight is, is y'all thought we are going to cover the whole chapter, didn't you? Uh, now, if you were at Men's Prayer Breakfast, we covered all of chapter 5, didn't we? Or 3. We all covered all of chapter. It's amazing how much we covered together. Um, actually, it was. It was exactly 5. So now we're in 6, and what I want to do is pick up tonight in verse number 27, okay? They say, what about the first 26 verses? Well, we'll quickly talk through that just for some intro, all right? So remember, who is, it's always good when you're studying the Bible to remember who the author is, who the, who the recipient, and what's the occasion, why did, he, why did he write it? So the human author is a man by the name of Luke. We know that uh, by, by uh, trade or by occupation, he is a physician. <clears throat> did you notice how uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, those long, detailed chapters, boy, he put a lot in, a, in, a, in, in his letter, didn't he? And uh, you're looking at it, and like, somebody said, man, it's 70, 69. I'm like, man, what verse are we on? And so much detail, and I'm thankful. Um, be reminded that you want your doctor to pay close attention, don't you? And uh, so that's what, that was one of the qualities that Luke possessed that God knew, and he used in recording this gospel according to Luke. Now, the, the audience was, a, was really one. Now, of course, God knows that it was going to be a letter used to teach and encourage his church for generations, right? Um, but in this original context, it was written to one recipient, and it was a man by the name of 
Theophilus, right? And Theophilus, we believe, was Roman and that he was uh, authority. He was somewhere high up. He was uh, uh, an educated man. And so the, uh, the occasion or the purpose of the letter was that uh, Dr. Luke was said, I'm going to give a detailed, orderly account, oh, excellent Theophilus, so that you will know what you were instructed about Jesus, about this faith, about this good news, was absolutely true. And so think about that, and you'll understand as you read through uh, what it was the Holy Spirit was using Luke to say to Theophilus, but also to say to me and you, okay? So here we go, Luke chapter 6. Uh, I hope that you read chapter 5, so much good stuff in chapter 5. I was so tempted to preach something out of chapter 5 tonight, but I said, Lord, help me to be current. I want to be right where everybody's at. And uh, I love doing this every year, by the way. I really am enjoying this. Last year, the days felt different. So the sermons came from different chapters. I was looking back through that and noticing that. So Luke chapter 6, we find first in the very first part of chapter 6, Jesus is using the Sabbath, okay, to, uh, to present to people that he is ultimate authority. Uh, what happens is disciples are eating some grain through the field. They're walking through the fields, and they're picking a little grain with their hands, wheat, and they're rubbing it in their hands together to get the chaff off of it, the outer husk, and they're eating a little bit along the way, and it's on the Sabbath day. And, oh, man, people, you know, religious folk get all upset when you, when you, when you just don't do things the way it's supposed to be done. And, and Jesus tells them, listen, it's not about, didn't David do that? And David, and, his, and, his, and he ate the showbread when he was hungry. And, he, and so what he's saying is, is if David's able to do that, how much more the Son of God, Okay. And so his people. So then the next part, he heals a man whose hand is withered in the second little uh, section of text in, in Luke 6. And there's a man whose hand is withered, and uh, they, they're watching Jesus to see if he's going to do anything, break the law by helping the man. Isn't that something? Can you imagine living your life, watching other people? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Can you imagine how miserable that would be, that you live your life focusing on somebody else's life? I'm going to tell you something. That's a miserable way to live. And so we got enough to focus on in our own speck in our eye. Oh, wait, we're going to get to that in a minute. So uh, the log in our eye, okay? And so here's what happens. Uh, Jesus asked the question. He noticed the question that the guys are having, the Pharisees and such are having in their heart. And rather than uh, uh, make them say it to him, he just reads their heart. You know, he can read your heart mail. He didn't have to have your email address. He knows what's going on in your heart and your mind all the time. And so he does. He addresses that with them. And he asks them the question, is it right to do good or bad on the Sabbath? Is it right to heal or, or condemn? Is it, is it what's right there? Nobody dares answer him. And so what he does, he tells the man to stretch out his hand. When he stretched his hand out, Jesus healed his hand. Not a 12-step rehabilitation and surgery, just simply healed it on the spot. And so now we go on and, and, and walk on through the first part of chapter 6, and uh, Jesus calls the 12 apostles. Now, oftentimes we call them disciples, but he had, Jesus had a lot of disciples. There were a lot of disciples that were there, but he called them out and called them dis uh, apostles, which means sent ones, right? And so uh, keep that in mind, he calls the 12 specifically. But before that, in verse number 12, he spends a, a full, it says he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night. He prayed all night long before he called the, called the 12 apostles. Isn't that something? And what a model for me and you. If Jesus needed to get along with the Father in solitude and pray, how much more me and you? So we're tracking on, and Jesus begins teaching. Uh, he heals a bunch in verses 17 to 19. He just heals scores of people. They're just coming to him, and, and, and it just simply says he healed them all, every one of them. Runny noses, the flu, COVID. I know they did. It wasn't COVID-19 back then, but it was something similar, okay? And he's healing everything, casting out demons. Jesus is doing that. Why? He's ultimate authority. He's proving he's authority over the Sabbath and the law. He's proving that he's authority over uh, disease and sickness and demons. His whole life was a representation of the claim he made with his mouth, right? And so remember, now Theophilus is reading this, and, and Luke is saying, I'm telling you in specific details what we saw. Not what we heard about, but what we saw. 
I'm giving you a detailed account so you know what you were instructed in is true. Coming on down, he begins to teach on what we call oftentimes the be attitudes. What does that mean? The attitudes that we should be, the attitudes of the heart of the person who belongs to the king or is part of the kingdom, okay? Remember, the kingdom is anywhere the king has dominion. And where he has dominion, there's a different set of priorities and, and, and attitudes that we have. And what you find is they're really opposite to our nature, the way that we're born. Uh, for instance, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, none of us are born thinking, I'm, I'm just, I don't have much. Matter of fact, we think we are much. And so uh, there's the op some opposites. You go through and read that. And then he pronounces, in beginning in verse number 24, he talks, he talks about the woes. And a woe is a simple, well, it's not simple. It is a warning from God uh, to the people. And he said, woe to, and it was the opposite of some of those beatitudes. For instance, he said, first of all, blessed are the poor in spirit. But then the woe, the first woe is, woe to those who are, uh, who, let me just read, who are full. Uh, excuse me, verse 24, but woe to you who are rich. So in verse number 21, he says, blessed are those who hunger. You go on down to verse 25, he says, woe to those who are full. You see, they're opposites. Blessed are the ones who are this way in the first verses, and woe to the ones who are the opposite. One is the principles of the kingdom, the attitudes of the kingdom, the follower of Christ, and the, one is, the other is the way of the world. Does that make sense to you? Everybody okay? We got a little intro going? I feel like y'all are getting tired on me already. I'm not even gotten warmed up yet. I ain't even got the key in the ignition. And so now we're going to find ourselves in verse number 27. That's where we're going to pick up. So I'm going to invite you and encourage you to stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word. We're going to read all the way down. Are you ready for this? It's going to blow your mind. All the way down to verse 49. Woo! Somebody said, don't read that long. Don't preach that long. Don't talk that long. Don't teach that long. I say hogwash. The people of God need the full picture, so we're going to get into it and go quickly. Here we go. We're getting in verse number 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other one also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit, you see this, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Hmm. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those to whom you hope to receive something back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners if they receive as much back. But, verse 35, love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward, here's the promise of God, will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind uh, to the unthankful and evil. Oh, when I read across that today, it struck a chord in my heart because I've been unthankful and I've been evil, and he has certainly been kind to me. Can anybody else relate to that tonight? What a Savior, this Jesus. Therefore, because of that, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Uh oh, we're going to deal with that tonight. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be Forgiven. Given it will be given to you, but not just given back the same way. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. 
First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. That's absurd. Verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth, makes sense, doesn't it? And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I'll show you who he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug real deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without even laying a foundation, against which the same stream beat vehemently, and immediately, y'all help me, it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. All right, let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me? <clears throat> Fathers, we bow before you tonight. Our humble cry is for help. We need help, Lord, to listen, to understand. Lord, I need help to preach and to listen and understand. So I thank you tonight as I ask you, I ask you with great confidence. I'm confident, not in myself, not in these people, but in you. And I'm confident because I know it's your will that this word would be preached in such a way that we would get it and that our ears would be tuned to hear your voice. So I know when I pray, I pray with confidence, with expectation that, God, you're going to do it again. You do it so often, and we ask you, Lord, tonight, do it again. And we ask it in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus and the people of God said together, amen. Look how quickly we read through those verses together. You feel tired already? I hope not. We're just getting started, okay? Now, look in your outline with me and let's, uh, the title of the message tonight is how to avoid ruin. Ruin. First of all, when you think of the word ruin, what is it that comes to your mind? Anything just pops in your mind? Rotten food, rotten tomatoes, rotten vegetables, right? things that spoil, things that go from a good condition to a bad condition, right? Sometimes, uh, one of the saddest things I believe on planet Earth is when you look at a ripe tomato and that thing looks so good and you reach to pick that thing up off the counter and your finger mushes on the backside where you didn't know it, where it had ruined, you know? And uh, not just that, but... But, man, things can ruin quickly, can't they? And, boy, some food can ruin, and we're not going to talk about that because y'all know I gag easy. And so things can ruin, can't they? They can ruin. How about milk? You ever had ruined milk? And uh, have mercy. You know, things ruin, don't they? But, listen, more intense than that, sometimes life is ruined. And it can come in the form of financial ruin. You ever, you ever seen anybody or experienced any financial ruin where things go from good to just absolutely undone? Uh, not just financially, but what about emotionally? You ever seen anybody emotionally ruined and they're downtrodden and they can't pick their countenance up and they can't find a way to be happy and find joy? How about relationships? I know nobody in the room has ever been in a ruined relationship, right? But the truth of the matter is life can ruin. And tonight what we're going to look at is what Jesus taught his disciples and the apostles, the disciples and the apostles, what he taught them about how to avoid ruin. Now, if you'll notice, we covered a lot of texts. A lot, a whole bunch of verses. So if you notice on your outline, it's broken down into four sections. Do you see that? All right, look at y'all, look at you responding tonight. Hallelujah, all right. So four sections. The first two sections are going to be imperatives, what we call imperatives in Bible study. What does that mean? It means something he's telling us to do, okay? It's an imperative. It's what he's saying. This is what you do. 
The second two sections are going to deal with uh, what that looks like and what that means, okay? What it looks like, section three, and what it means, section four. Does that kind of narrow it down a little bit, help you understand it already? I say when you eat an elephant, you got to bring it down into little bites, one bite at a time, okay? So here we go, Roman number one. We're going to look at this section, verse 27 to 36, and this section deals with loving our enemies, loving our enemies, okay? So there's an imperative. He's saying this is what you do. If you're part of the kingdom, this is what you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what you do. If, you, if you've been born a second time, this is what you do, okay? So you may be asking yourself, am I, uh, do I, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I born again? In other words, what are the birthmarks of a, a born-again believer? Well, well, number one is that they love their, boy, isn't that something? And then you think about how often we don't love our enemies. We have to ask ourselves tonight, don't we, as we get started? You know, what's the disconnect? What's the disconnect between most of us and what Jesus is teaching? That's a good question to start with, isn't it? Now, I mean, you guys are looking at me like you've never not loved your enemies, but I'm saying that I have not sometimes loved my enemies, and maybe I'm the only one in the room. It's never not love their enemies. I, anybody be willing to say there's been a time maybe in your life when you didn't love your enemy? Okay, good. I thought y'all making me, y'all got a different look on Wednesday night. It's a distant look because of work and everything, and I can't tell if you're like, well, not me, brother. It's just you, you know. All right, here we go. Roman numeral one, love our enemies. It's going to be broken down in two categories. Here it is, all right? So it's verse 27 to 36. But the first section is, write this in your notes, verse 27 to 31. Love is, in fact, action. Love is not a feeling, Okay. And uh, if you go back to when you first fell in love, there's some feelings involved, right? And we feel all kind of type of ways, make you do all kind of stuff, you know? But this, this is the love of God, the agape kind of love. It's a love that is action, okay? It's a decision of the will that is proven in action. Okay, let's read verse 27, 31. Where did I get that? Uh, Jesus said, but I say to you who hear me, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray. Now, you realize that uh, praying is an action. Do you, do you know that tonight, that prayer is action? Yeah, it requires uh, energy. It requires effort. It requires uh, talking and listening. So there's a lot of action involved in prayer. So one of the things we do in this love is action is we pray. And notice what he's talking here, love is action. He's speaking specifically in the area of our enemies. And verse 29, to him who strikes you on the one cheek, oh, mercy, offer the other also. Now, I need you to understand tonight that when he speaks here of striking the cheek, the word for striking here is not the word for balling up the fist and punching in the face, but instead it's more of a backhanded action that's more about a, a being uh, uh, belittled. It's more about being uh, embarrassed. Y'all tracking with me? Uh, most of the time, nobody could, could backhand you from a close distance that would send you to the hospital. Okay, and so the point he's making here is if people ridicule you and treat you bad and mistreat you and do things that just are embarrassing to you, what does he say do? Give him the other cheek. And from him who takes away your cloak, boy, it's gotten quiet in the house. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other, uh, uh, offer the other one also, verse 29. And from him who takes away your cloak, go ahead and give him your tunic. Huh? Oh, oh, you want to you steal my coat? Here, have my shirt too. You know anybody like that? I mean, I don't know many people like that. Most of the time, here's what I hear us say. We say, I hate a thief. And that's so unlike God. And since I said it's so unlike God, you'd almost say that that statement is ungodly. To say that I hate a thief, it's ungodly. It's an ungodly statement. God loves the thief. He hates stealing. 
So let me just say, he says, if they take it, you, you're, you're able to give it. Oh, mercy. Oh, verse number 30, give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, don't ask them back. Can you imagine doing that? And just as you want men to do to you, oh, here's the golden rule. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Someone said to me not too long ago, he said, the person said this, this was a, this was a pastor, as a matter of fact. He said, you know, he said, it's funny how people don't know, they think things are in the Bible that aren't there. And, and he said, like the golden rule. And I, I laughed. I thought he was joking. And, uh, and I said, and, and he said, well, you, he said, isn't that, I mean, it, this, he said, it's not funny to me. It aggravates me. I said, hang on, hang on. I said, you do know that you're kidding, right? And he said, no. I said, you do know the golden rule is in the Bible. And he said, no, it's not. And so I took you to this passage. And boy, you should have seen the look on our faces when we ran across that verse. Because that's exactly what that is. Do unto others as you'd have them. Do unto you. That's what Jesus said, right? So it is, in fact, that you need to know if anybody ever asks you where's the golden rule, you say it came from Jesus' mouth, all right? Uh, now, so first we looked at love our enemies. And number one, love is action. There's action. There's giving. There's forgiving. There's all kind of things he wrapped up in that particular passage, all right? Now, and we're going to go kind of quickly here. We're going to dive a little deeper a little later, so just hang with me. So number two under Roman number one, I want you to write down love is unconditional. Now, we're talking about, of course, the love of God. Love is action, and love is, y'all help me, unconditional. Uh, verse 32 to 36. I'll give you a second to write that in, and let's read, okay? 32 to 36. So Jesus says, you want me to do to you, you do that to them likewise, is the golden rule. And if you, verse 32, if you love those who love you, well, Jesus said, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. That's called conditional love. If the condition is that you love me back, I'll love you. That's condition-based love. He said lost people that don't know Jesus, that don't know God do that. It's a reward, reward type of thing. If you'll do me right, I'll love you back. And sadly, sadly, uh, many of us are still operating in that particular kind of love rather than the kind of love that Jesus extended to us that said, I love you, I love you just because, right? <clears throat> and so now we think about for just a minute, w would you be honest with me tonight say there's been sometimes when people aren't fulfilling the conditions that you desired that you've withheld love from them? I'd have to say that I have. You know, and so he's talking about different, total different kind of love. And so Jesus is giving him imperative. Here's how you're supposed to love. Love this way, you know, if they, if they backhand you and embarrass you, give them the other. And he's talking about love is really action. It's, it's, it's action even when you're humiliated. And then he says love is unconditional. Let me, let me go on, verse 32. So if you love those who love you, it's no different. You lost people do that. He's, not, he's saying to you guys, he's saying you guys are different. You guys are my disciples. You're my apostles. You, you're you're going you're gonna, to, and by the way, his intent now is he's teaching those who will be, when he's gone, teaching others. Did you know that Jesus said to the followers of his own that they were to make disciples as they went about life in Matthew 28, 19 and 20? Did you know that? And so he's teaching them so that they'll be able to teach others. I'm going to prove that to you before we finish. So he says, your love is different. You, you, you're not, you don't love like everybody else. You love different, okay? <clears throat> love is unconditional. Verse 33, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Again, it's condition. That's condition. If you do good, I'll do good to you. For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive something back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. Can you imagine if you and I began to be as generous as Jesus is leading his disciples to be? Hey, if somebody needs something, give it to them. If you got it, give it to them. Well, they better bring it back. They better bring it back in the same shape I gave it to them in. Huh? How many times you heard your grandpa say that? Now, son, if you borrow this, you better bring it back. Bring it back in the same condition you got it in. And Jesus said, 
Now, should we do that? Yes, that's the right thing to do. But what Jesus is saying here is even if, you, you don't get mad at them, you don't talk trash about them, you don't throw them under the bus. If they ask for it, you just what? Give it to them. Boy, we got a long way to go, don't we? I said, we, don't look at the carpet. I said, we got a long way to go. Come on, Jesus, help us. Help us. He's doing a work in our heart tonight. You believe he's working in your heart right now? Yeah, he's adjusting things right now with his word and his spirit. I love it. He's doing it in my heart right now. I love the fact that he does this. Right, come every time. I know he needs to work on my heart. I know he's going to use me to work on our hearts. And man, I need it. You need it. All right, so let's read a little further. And if you lend to those who you hope to receive back, he said, what credit is that? That's condition-based. For even sinners lend to sinners who receive as much back. But he says, instead, I'm going to read a little further along, love your enemies, do good, to the, uh, to, uh, do good and lend, hoping for mm, nothing in return. How many times has Jesus said it in one, in one particular section? You know, what he's, you know, I believe why he's doing that, because some of you already dismissed the fact that I said it. You said, well, that's just not the way. And so in your mind, you've already dismissed it. So Jesus put it in there again so I could repeat it the second time. And when I repeat it the second time, you try to change your mind, think about going fishing this weekend or, you know, what you're going to do for Christmas. And, and, and he said it a third time. I don't know about you guys, but like everywhere he says something twice, you better sit up. But when he says it three times, you better sit up and take your pen out and take a note and say, now what about me needs to change to fall in line with what he's saying here? And I know for me it's that I would be more generous and not be expecting everything uptight about my stuff, about my stuff, huh? And that I'm more generous and lenient to people are the, are the treasure, not my stuff, people are the treasure. That's what he's teaching them. People are the treasure, not your DeWalt drill. People are the treasure. That's what he's teaching. Did you, get, did you see what he's saying there? That's the treasure. The problem is we treasure our tools more than we treasure people. That's what he's saying. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to move on. We've got to move quickly. All right, therefore, he says, uh, oh, verse 35, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Here's the promise of God. Do, you, do we really believe that? Well, if I leave my wife, if he, if he takes my drill, don't leave my drill back. I'm going to be without a drill. Well, do you believe God will reward you and give you a drill back? Well, no, I don't because, you know, that's the one I bought, and I worked hard to get it. And he said, your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the and evil. Think about, for just a minute, all that Jesus has given to you, all that he's given to me, and all the times we've been so unthankful, and all the times that we've not returned and in, on his investment in us, and yet he's still been kind to us all along. That's the point he's making. Uh, followers of him are like him. Oh, write that somewhere. Followers of him are like him. And that's what he's teaching them. That's his disciples. Now, if you're just a part of the world, you're not saved. This doesn't pertain to you. And, and so you hear this, it doesn't make any sense to you. And you say, I'm not going to do that. That's not who I am. It's not how my granddaddy raised me. And you're going to just keep rocking on. But for those who tonight came to the table to say, Lord Jesus, I'm your disciple. Teach me your ways. That's what he's doing right now. He's teaching us his ways. Okay, Roman number one, love our enemies. How about this? We're already on Roman number two. It's almost halfway. Now, this one has a list of, well, no, verse 36. Let's, let's make sure we include this. Therefore, because God, because God is like this, because Jesus is like this, because he's kind to the unthankful and evil, we should be merciful just as he's merciful. Now, remember, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So think about the context of how he just applied it. Somebody bars your, your, your drill. Um, somebody here must have a drill. I don't know why the Holy Ghost keeps taking me to a drill. And they bar your drill, okay, and they don't return it. And what you ought to do is go over there and be ugly to them 
because they deserve it. They didn't take care of it. They didn't have good morals and all the things that we on our high horses like to look down on people because they don't take care of stuff the way that we do and what have you. And we go over there, and we're mean-spirited, or we're talking at our house about him. You know that old joker borrowed my drill. I ain't seen it yet. And, oh, he's a, that's a sorry individual that'll borrow a drill and not bring it. That's not mercy. Now, that's what it's just, it, right? It makes sense by the system of the world. It's, it's deserved. But because God has shown us mercy, we, too, reciprocate mercy. I'm not going to talk about you if you did me wrong. I, I don't. Now, you may deserve it, but I'm not going to do it because I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Not because Terry said so, because I read it from the mouth of Jesus right out of the Word of God. Because Listen, because, and now some of you say, well, I don't know if I can do that. You can't, but the Holy Spirit in you can. And some of us here may not have the Holy Spirit, so you've been trying to fake it for a long time, but it's killing you. You can't do it. You can't, you can't do that. But when you have the Holy Ghost to God, it's amazing what you can do. It's amazing what you can do. Okay, let me move on if I can. Roman number two, we will reap. The next section is we will reap what we so, so, so that title, that, that point that I'm making here, or that he made, Jesus made here, is broad. So, there was, you, so if you look in your Bible, what is the little subtopic that it has there? I'm going to teach you. Hey, can I teach you something real quick? Oh, I'm waiting for somebody to nod. We can sit here all night. Okay, here we go. Can I teach you something real quick? <clears throat> Do you see the little subtopic over the, the, the section of text we're looking at? What does it say? That's wrong. Take a pen and write through that. Uh-oh, some of y'all are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Now, who wrote that in there? Man did. That's not quoted from the scribes. That's not copied from the text. That's written in by some man. So take your line. Some of y'all said, I can't do it. Leave it wrong then, okay? Next time you go look at it, you'll read it wrong again and think that whole section's about not judging. But I'm about to teach you that's wrong. You need y'all draw a line through it? Okay, good. So y'all are willing to draw a line through it. Now, why would I say it's not don't, don't judge? Because that's one first imperative in a list of about 15. So why would you pick the one? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, I'm going to show you something. All right, let's, let's read a little further along. The whole thing is about, I'm, boy, I'm trying to just stay calm. The whole thing is about if you do this, then it won't be done to you. It, it'll be done to you the same way. And he lists about four or five different things. Why would you pick one? Do you, do you see it? Read, read ahead of me a little bit. Just see if you can see it for yourself. I'm trying to teach you how to be a student of the Word without having somebody, some man, feed you their opinion. Is anybody tracking with me? I love you that much. I want you to be able to take your Bible wherever you are, and you can discern by the Spirit what's really being said there, not by these little... Sometimes they're right. A lot of times they are. But sometimes they're wrong. Some of y'all, boy, you're messing you up right now. And it's going to be okay. You just stay with me, okay? So <clears throat> watch this list of four. Number one in verse 37, and this in the first part, and these two go together, and because they're almost the same word in the Greek. And so the first one I want you to write down is to avoid being condemned, stop judging. Now, what I did is I used both the words, and I'll explain why I wrote it this way, okay? To avoid being condemned, stop judging others less than. Now, why did you put all those words in there? Because I'm, I'm going to show you, all right? So you, you got that wrote in your blank? Okay, read with me verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be. Those two words in the Greek are just, they mean almost the exact same thing. It's not judging to look at somebody and say, hmm, what they're doing is wrong. That's not the word that he used there. 
Now, the crazy thing about, well, it's not crazy. It makes perfect sense. The sinful, rebellious nature of man is to say, see, the Bible says, don't judge me. Right? You have a friend comes along and says, hey, you know, I've been noticing, don't judge me. And the translation of that is this, let me sin in peace. Don't, don't you dare point out anything in my life. Okay? Now, the same two words. So what he's saying here is it's a word that means to evaluate something and then to speak against it. It's why they mean condemnation and judgment. The same, they're the same word. So what he's saying is, is that you and I shouldn't be sitting at our table at the house or in, at work or wherever running our mouth talking negative and uh, that somebody else is less than us because of what they've done or how they've lived or what they wear or where they are. Or, or, uh-oh. Well, that just woke up some folk in the room, didn't it? Now, you didn't think, you didn't understand that, did you? You ought to check those Greek words out. It'll help you sometimes. And so we need to be careful about uh, just taking things, oh, this whole section is about don't judge. No. He's saying, if you don't judge people and run them down with your mouth, then it won't happen to you. That's what he said. Now, that's not all he said. Is everybody okay? Some of y'all still messed up that you drew a line through that in your Bible. It's going to be okay. I promise you. Okay, here we go. To avoid being condemned, stop judging others as less than. That's the word of condemnation. I view you less than me, so I talk negative about you. Okay? I talk you down. Is that, y'all know what I'm talking about when I say that? Okay, I can move on. Number two. All right, so we said we'll reap what we sow. So what does that mean? If, if I uh, speak judgment and condemnation about people, then I'm going to reap that. It's going to happen to me. All right? Second thing is, in the same verse, it's a different word, and he says, forgive. So why wouldn't the whole section be, be titled forgive? Because it's just one of the imperatives. Y'all learning here? Okay. All right. Don't trust those little subtopics. All right. So forgive and you will be forgiven. You, you, you see the theme of you reap what you sow? So if you speak judgment and condemnation and your heart's judging people less than you and you're talking about them, you're going to reap that. If you don't, you're going to reap that. If you, if you uh, forgive people, then you're going to reap that. You plant seeds of forgiveness by forgiving people, then you're going you're gonna to be forgiven. But if you sow the seed of unforgiveness, I wish somebody would wake up in the house tonight. You're not going to be forgiven. Okay, all right, there we go. We're tracking along. So number two in your notes, write this down. Forgive and you will be. All right, I'm moving on. That's, I, does anybody believe that's self-explanatory? Okay, I don't have to explain forgiveness and what that means. And Okay, now, uh, quickly, let me say this. In the Greek, those terminologies are present tense. Now, you said present imperative. You said, what in the world is he talking about? It means they are actively doing that. And what he's saying is, stop. <laughs> Don't do that. And he's saying, when you stop doing that today, tomorrow, keep stop doing that. It's present tense. It's always present tense. Does that make sense to y'all? It's not past tense. It's not one-time occurrence. It's a continual thing. All right. I'm having a blast tonight. Is anybody else? I'm learning, and, and, and y'all are learning. It's so fun. Number three, be careful to be a good disciple maker. Oh, oh, wait. I missed one, didn't I? Give, number three, give, and more will be given back. I'm glad y'all are paying attention. Give, and more will be given back. Well, we like that principle, don't we? Oh, nobody? Okay, I like that principle. Nobody but me. We like that principle. It's a good principle. It's not why we give, but it's a good principle that God put in place, I think. What it means is you can't outgive him. Listen to what he says in verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, listen. Interestingly enough, when he says judge and condemnation, those two words are the same, he takes one little sentence or two sentences and says that. 
And when he talks about forgiveness, he takes one sentence and says that. But when he talks about giving, huh? Jesus took a little time here, didn't he? Pay attention to those details when you're studying the Bible. Jesus took a little time. Those disciples are sitting everywhere, and the 12, they're sitting there. And he's saying to them, now, you're different. This is the way of the kingdom. Love your, love your enemies. He told them how, what that looks like. Now he's saying, uh, whatever you reap, you're going to sow, right? And whatever you sow, you're going to reap, rather. What you sow, you're going to reap. I said, we reap, yeah, we reap what we sow. Whatever we sow, we're going to reap. And he's telling them that. And he gives them some specifics. Hey, if you do this, this is going to happen. This is what you're going to reap. If you do this. But then he gets to giving, and he slows down, and he gives a little more detail, doesn't he? That's, I don't know, but it's just pretty interesting to me that Jesus would slow down and say, let me tell you what I'm talking about here. And this makes me think about picking peas, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay? He says, give, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into that. Literally, there means to be poured into your lap. For with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. Now, uh, when I think about pressed down, think about this. Uh, pressed down, shaken, and running over. Why do I think I say that reminds me of picking peas? When Tina and I, uh, first year or so of our marriage, uh, we lived in South Jackson. Can you believe that? And so in South Jackson, we live in South Jackson, ain't nowhere to have a garden. And so we had to go somewhere. You pay a little money. You take your buckets out. You go pick your peas. Y'all ever done that before? And so you get your five gallons, however much you can get the five-gallon bucket. Well, I know I got a bunch of little children at the house. Huh? And peas go a long way. You can feed them for a long time with peas. So I pay a little money, and what I'm doing is I'm putting, them, I'm putting them in my basket, but then as I fill that thing up, you ever pick purple whole peas in a five-gallon bucket? You can't put very many in there if you just put them in there, you know? But, boy, if you take that old bear paw and push that thing, press, press, oh, you see the picture? Now, he says what you're going to get back is going to be pressed down. What that means is a picture of it. It's not going to be loosely, and it's going to be pressed down so that more can go in. Pressed down, more than can go in. And then he says, pressed down and shaken. Now, you know what's shaking? Shaking is where you shake it around a little bit so that, so that the, they, there's no loose gaps in there and the, and the peas and things fall into. There's no room. Listen to what he's saying. There's no room for more. It's as much as can be given. And then he says, it's as maximum as what will hold. And then he says, it'll be, come on, y'all help me. I get a little excitement about you. Running over, man. I remember walking back to the car and mashing things down, shaking them down. And they're almost, my trail back to the car, we had a car at the time. We had a Chevy Lumina. I'm walking back to that Chevy Lumina in the darkness at about 5 a.m. And there's a trail of peas that fell out of my bucket. Why? Why? You know why? They were running over. There was more than it could hold. And Jesus said, if you will trust him, if you and I will trust him, his followers are generous because they don't worry about their supply pile. They trust the supplier. And what they do in their life, they generously give to the church, to the kingdom, to people. They generously give. And yes, I'm even talking about money. Can you believe that? And they do that because they believe him at his word. They're not concerned about running out as long as they're following the Spirit's leadership because they know the one who supplies their pile. You say, what pile are you talking about? The pile that we give, give away, the pile that we give, the pile that we minister with. But you've heard me say this many times before. The mission costs money. And, you know, I've, I've oftentimes prayed and talked to God about this. Well, why? And I believe with all my heart it's because he wanted us to have to pay so that we wouldn't be possessed by our possessions. So they give, and what's given back is more. All right, i got to move quickly. We've run completely out of time. You believe that? Be careful to be a, uh, I mean, rather, give and more will be given. Did y'all get that out of verse 38? Boy, you don't have to be too smart to get that one, do you? Verse 39, even I can get that one. Verse 39, all right, write this in your notes there. Uh, number four, be careful to be a good disciple maker. Now, see, all these imperatives I'm giving you here, does that sound like don't judge? 
What in the world does somebody come up with that? Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm trying to not focus on that, but I just get beside myself sometimes on that kind of stuff. Be careful to be a good disciple maker. Where do you see that, preacher? Uh, verse 39 to verse 42. Now, remember what I told you. Who's he teaching? Two groups of people, disciples and apostles. Disciples were those who were following him. Apostles were those called 12. He's teaching them about the ways of the kingdom. And now Theophilus is reading this. Oh, Theophilus is taking note too now. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is how I'm supposed to live as a follower of Christ. And now you and I are hearing it. And it's informing our walk with Jesus right now, you see. And we'll have some decisions to make, won't we? Come on, somebody. We'll have some decisions to make based on the information that we're getting. The information God gives us, by the way, is for transformation. So he, he's teaching them, and he's talking to them. Why? Because when he leaves, when he leaves, they are going to be disciple makers. Did you know that? Did you know that any, you cannot call yourself a disciple or follower of Jesus if you're not making disciples? You cannot. Now, some of you are under the persuasion, you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you're not making disciples, you're not. That's what he said. So he's saying, now, I'm giving you the information so that when I'm gone, you multiply. You go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And remember, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know where to find that? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, from the mouth of Jesus. Now, where do I find it? Let me show you. This is going to bless your socks off. All right? And he spoke a parable to them, says, here's what he asked them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? So you're going to be making disciples. And if you're blind, if, if you're not if you, don't, if you don't pay attention to something in your own life, and I'm going to call it a speck. No, I'm going to call it a plank. That's what Jesus called it. Now, see, you've read this verse before, and you thought he was talking about somebody else. He was talking to them. Can the blind lead the blind? In other words, if you're blinded to the fact that you've got a plank in your eye, how can you teach? Oh, somebody's finally putting the pieces together on these verses for the first time. He said, can the blind lead the blind? If you're going to be leaders, if you're going to be disciple makers, if you're going to be the ones that I'm trusting to multiply the kingdom, then you need to know you have got to pay attention because you are going to have some planks in your eye. And if the plank's in your eye and you're, you're going to be blinded to the plank, you're not going to be able to teach your brother and help him with the speck in. Oh, making sense now, isn't it? I love seeing y'all when the light bulb comes on. It's like, oh, now I understand that. Really, it does. I'll lay in my bed night and see your faces when that happened just then, and it'll bless my soul again tonight. Or I go to sleep. So let me read it, verse 39. And he spoke a parable. He said, can I blindly the bind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? If I've got a bunch of stuff in my life and I'm not dealing with it, but I come point to it in your life, try to lead you, guess what? We're both headed to a bad spot. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be you guys. He's what he's saying to me. Y'all are going to be like me. You're, you're, going to be, you're going to be like me. And, so, and you're going to produce disciples that are like me. Verse 41, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but not perceive the plank in your own? Here's what he's saying. Don't be blind. If you're going to be a good disciple maker, don't be blind to your own weaknesses. Don't be blind to your own plank. Don't be blind to your own personal sin. And by the way, we all have it. We all have it. <clears throat> he goes on to say, verse 42, or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck from, that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye, that would be acting like what? A hypocrite. 
I pretend like I don't have anything wrong in my life, and I'm trying to tell you what you need to do in yours. Now, let me pause here before I read the rest of this verse. This particular passage, uh, a misinterpretation, a misunderstanding of it has led to many moral failures and many followers of Christ to be completely derailed. Okay, y'all, everybody sitting up, listen to me. If you're to hear nothing else, wake up because I need you in the game, all right? Now, what do I mean by that? We read that and we say, oh, I'm, I read the little blue, the little subtitle, don't judge. So I'm subconsciously, I bring that thought to the whole passage when it's not even about that, and I put it back on this speck and plank, and I say, oh, well, he said don't judge, and I've got a speck in my eye, i got a plank in my eye, so I can't judge, and I can't ever encourage anybody, and I can't correct my brother, and so I just need to just keep going and keep my mouth shut. And because we've kept our mouth shut, we've not exhorted each other and encouraged each other and challenged each other and held each other accountable, called each other up, we just drift off into sin. And the train comes off the tracks. Marriages are ruined. Finances are ruined. Children's lives are ruined. Anybody tracking with me? Um, because we say, well, don't judge. That's what the little subtopic said. And that's what old John told me. Don't, don't, don't judge him. You know, that's what Sally told me. Don't judge her. And so I better not judge. And I read that little blue thing said, don't judge. And I remember the verse under there said, judge. So uh, don't judge. So, hey, that's all I'm locked in. And boy, what an error we make. Do, do you realize that the reason God put us together, one of the reasons he put us together is to help keep each other on the straight and narrow? That's one of the reasons. Not to be offended by that, but you said, where do you get that, preacher? You heard him just say, you got a, you got a plank in your eye. Well, you, don't forget the last part of the verses. Let's read. Put your eyes on it. <clears throat> the end of verse 42. So if that was the end of verse 42 and there was no more words, no more words, and I would say, you're right, we better just deal with our plank and keep rocking. But that's not, what he, that's not the end of it. What does he say? What's the, what's the first word? First. So if you have some, if you're giving a direction that says first, that means that connotates or means there's going to be a second step. First step, remove the from your own eye. So deal humbly and repentantly with your own sin. Okay? But that's not the end of the, there's another step. And that's where we fail each other oftentimes. Now, I'm not talking about being mean-spirited and standing on a soapbox and pointing fingers at each other and publicly embarrassing each other and being mean. I'm not talking about that. There's no God in that. I'm talking about gently putting our arm around each other, men with men and women with women, to the side away when we built relationship together. We're able to speak kindly and gently that we can pray with each other on our struggles. Listen to what it says. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then, step two, you'll clearly, you'll see clearly in order to the speck that is in your Oh, boy, tonight's been a night of learning, hasn't it? We've learned so much together. Now, the question is, will we apply it? Because Roman number three, we're going to hit this quickly. All those verses, Jesus said, we, who, we really are is on, who we really are is on display always. It's always on display. There's some extra words in there. Good night. Scratch out the on is, okay, in your notes and have it say this. Who we really are is always on display. Who you really are. Not, not pulling in the parking lot and coming into church. I'm talking about who you really are, okay? Not how much Bible you can quote. Anybody out there. I know some of the meanest people on planet Earth can quote a whole chapter of the Bible. Listen, he said the way you live your life is how you're going to be known, why? Because who you really are is on display. If you're a bad tree, 
There's going to be, it's going to, your, your wife, your kids, people who know you best, they're going to know. They're going to know. Coworkers, they're going to know. They're going to know. It's going to be evident. Why? It's on display. You can't hide it. It's on display. All right. Now, moving on, Roman number four. You believe, you believe we're going to finish this thing? So, yeah, we're 10 minutes behind. Write this out. Okay. When, when we do, all right, you're writing that. That's the, that's the blank. This is verse 46 to 49. When we do what he said, now notice I didn't say says. He said it one time for all time. What did he say? Everything in this thing from cover to cover. He said it, right? Anybody out there, y'all understand what I'm saying? He said it, and that settled it. it used to, there used to be a saying that went around the churches that said, you know, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And I scratched that, and I said, no, what we ought to be quoting is, the Bible says it, that settles it, because Jesus said it, or, the, or God said it, right? Whether it's through a prophet, whether it's through who, who he said it. This is the spoken, breathed out word of God. Now, here we go. When we do what he said, y'all with me still? What, when we do what he said, we will not be ruined. Now, that's a great promise. The title was, how do we avoid being ruined? Okay? And the answer is, when we do what he said, we will not be ruined. The main idea, by the way, is obedience avoids ruin. Obedience avoids, help me somebody, ruin. Now, let's read. But why do you call me, Jesus said. He starts this part with a question. Why do you call me Lord? It, it, what he's saying is it doesn't make sense for you to say Lord, and then you don't do what I say do. This don't line up. If he's Lord, then we do what he says, okay? Now, he's going to make two comparisons. <clears throat> Verse number 47, he does the positive first and the negative. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings, and in your Bible, you need to underline the next statement. So you hear them, and then you do them, all right? You see it? Everybody see it? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and... He doesn't say, and whoever hears my sayings and memorizes them. He didn't say, whoever hears my sayings and amens them. He didn't say, whoever hears my sayings and has a bumper sticker with that verse on it. He said, whoever hears my sayings and does them. Wow. What, what about that person? Well, Jesus said, I'm going to show you what that person's like. They're, he's like a man who built a house who dug deep. You know, he realized that the house was going to face some difficult things. By the way, you know your house is going to face some difficult things. Your life's going to face some difficult things. There's some things ahead of you that you can't even think about, and there's some hard things ahead of you. How about, aren't you glad you came Wednesday night? I went and preached and said, we got some hard things ahead of us. We do. We got some hard. You know, some of us in the room, we got some diagnoses ahead of us. We got some difficulty ahead of us. Down the road, we do. It's part of the experience down here. Isn't that right? <clears throat> so he says, uh, he's like this guy. You know, he's, he's, he's considering he's got this house to build. He needs to do something. And what he does is he digs deep. He doesn't dig shallow. He digs deep. And what he does is he lays the foundation down deep, and he lays the foundation. He digs so deep, he goes all the way down to the rock. And when the flood rose, and it will, and the stream beats against the house, you imagine that water washing and hitting against the house, you know? And he said, and, and, and beats against the house and could not shake it. Can you imagine, can you imagine if your life was so rock solid that no matter what situation you face, nothing could shake you. <clears throat> nothing could make you anxious. Nothing could make you worried. Nothing could make you angry. You just were unshakable. Can you imagine what that would be like? And so, I, okay, real quick survey of the room. How many of you would love to live an unshakable life? I'm like, sign me up, man. How do you do it? Tell me how. I don't want to be shaken by all the mess down here because we're facing it, man. How do we do it? One word, obey. Just that one word, obey. Do what he says do. 
Well, you mean, isn't it about like how I meditate and if I think positive? Sp- nope, none of that nonsense. Just do what God says do. And you won't be ruined. It's almost too simple, isn't it? Anybody else think that? It's almost, I didn't say easy. A big difference. It's almost too simple. We think there must be some hidden meaning. He says, yes, that man who heard it and did it was not ruined when the storm came. But there's a second illustration. He ends with the negative. But he who heard the, and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the same stream beat vehemently and immediately, immediately didn't stand up long. It, it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. <clears throat> Think about the context of marriage for just a minute. So God has given some commands in the roles of husband and wife in the marriage relationship. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? Raise your hand. If you knew that God's given some commands in how marriage is supposed to be. Okay, all right. Now, did you know that if we'll obey those commands, husband and wife, we'll never be ruined? That's what the text says. That's what Jesus said. So then we can flip the coin and say this. If we don't obey, we will be ruined. I was thinking just this week about Many marriages. You know, 18 years, it's a long time. And there are a lot of people that worship here. Like if we all came at one time, you, I don't care what kind of walls you pull out and pour, you can't fit us all. But I, I, I've countless marriage relationships ruined. Children crying themselves to sleep at night. Don't want to live. No longer playing a sport that made them so happy. Grades failing. Others fake it real good, and it didn't show up till they get in their 20s, you know? And all because people who sometimes claim to be Jesus won't obey what he said do in the marriage relationship. It's that simple. It's difficult. Anybody with me? But it's that simple. I know people who in their finances, uh, uh, their finances have been ruined, and uh, you sometimes will have conversations with them when you're able to say, well, tell me about this. What's your giving? Do you, do you give to the Lord? Oh, no, I can't afford that. Well, there it is. If you don't obey the principles, that if I give, he can't, he's going to press it down. Is anybody out there still? And so if you don't go by the principles of God in, your, in the economy and your finances, then you are setting yourself up to be ruined, ruined. In raising children. Do you know the Word of God has commands on how to raise children? If you don't, you can choose not to. And by the way, it gives us free will, so we get to choose. If we don't raise them His way, if we don't teach them the Word, if we don't, if we don't disciple our children, then we set them up for ruin. You know, I could go all night. With a broken heart, I could go all night because, well, you know, a lot of times the phone calls I get aren't, hey, Pastor, I just want to come by the office and tell you how good life's going. Most of the time is. You know, life has come completely unraveled because we're, we, we just hadn't done what God said do. Man, it crushes my heart. And oftentimes people will come in and they'll say, hey, we want to we talk. I want to talk. We want to talk. We want some counsel. And all I have, you guys, let me just say something about me. If you come to me for counseling, where are you going to get is a steady diet of, that's all I got. I'm just a simple-minded joker. All I got is this. And by the way, it's all we'll ever need. And people come in and their life is almost ruined, not quite ruined, but almost ruined, in the process of a vehement stream beating and the water rising. And I'll say, here's what the Bible says. If you'll do this, 
you'll do what Jesus says in this area, you won't be ruined. And things go wonder, and I think we're in an understanding, and we pray together, and everybody's smiling, and they leave out. And then maybe I don't see them for two or three weeks. And then one calls and says, hey, I need to come by and see you. And they come by, and they say, well, we, this is, everything's fell apart. And I said, oh, my, what's happened? And they said, well, we didn't do what you said do. And I correct them to say, well, I didn't say to do it. I just told you what God said do. And so, friend, I want to I encourage you tonight that if you'll just understand how to avoid ruin is just do what God says do. Obedience avoids ruin. And listen to me. God doesn't want you to be ruined. He didn't want your home to be ruined. He didn't want your, you kidding me? He didn't spare his only son to buy our salvation. You think he wants you to be ruined? No way, man. He wants you to experience the fullness of abundant life. But the choice is ours. Let's bow our heads together. Would you bow your head with me? Man, it's been a good night, hasn't it? Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would do whatever you want to do in this. I don't know what you want to do, God, but I'm asking you to do whatever you want to do tonight. I'm going to say to you out there, the altar's open. I believe there's some folk ought to be just coming up right now out of their chair. Would you stand with me? Matter of fact, make it a little easier. There ought to be some right now just making their way right down the altar right now, just leaving out of your chair and saying, oh, Lord, help me. Help me, Jesus. Help me and help my husband, help my wife, help my children, help me. Lord, I've made some mistakes. I've caused some ruin. Oh, God, I want to turn away and I want to do it your way. Some of it in here tonight, you're on the verge of ruin. You're right on the verge. And you know, already know what God said do. And you got a decision to make. And I'm praying right now with all my might that you'd make the decision to go his way. Just lovingly obey. Now, listen, we're not talking about obedience to salvation. No, no, no. Only way you can be saved is to put your hope and trust in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection and invite him to be Lord. But the way you can avoid ruin is if you'll do what he says do. So, Father, take this response time now. I pray you'd move in a mighty way. God, move in a way we didn't see coming. I pray you'd save somebody in the house tonight. <clears throat> I pray somebody came in broken and hopeless, and they'd find out that there is a Savior who loves them and died and rose again. Father, for the one who's wayward and drifted off, would you draw them home? God, I pray right now for the one who's on the verge of ruin, that they would just humble themselves tonight before you and turn. Turn from what they're being tempted to do. Turn from what they're feeling tempted to be a part of. Turn, turn them, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Cause them to fall in love with you so much they want to do what you say do, that I want to do what you say do. Lord, grow us up that we're not like little children that say, oh, you're just trying to take the fun out of my life. Grow us past that immature way of thinking. Help us to be people who say the Bible and the Spirit are what guide my life. Father, we love you tonight. Do what only you can. Change us. Do a work of grace in my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.